Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. It's another Oscar race checkpoint, technically the first one of the new year here. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Mike, we're getting right back into the swing of things today. It's amazing. It's an Oscar race checkpoint in June. Mm -hmm. Uh, Should be a mid-year Oscars report, but we are nowhere near ready for that. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about the Cannes Film Festival. We're going to talk about A Quiet Place 2, Cruella, and uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. You're going to try not to talk about Bo Burnham's inside comedy special, even though you'll probably m- mention it 17 times. I think three of our last five Instagram posts. I'm, I'm clearly the one who runs our Instagram account. Not that I do a good job at all of it, but I think three of our last five have to do with inside. I'm obsessed with it. Yes. You're going to be quoting it everywhere to everyone. And it just really scares me. It likes, <laughs> I mean, you're very, you're very melancholy. Let's just put mm-hmm. it that way to the point where I'm like, I just if I can't make this guy laugh three times in an episode, <laughs> it's gonna be a dark night, darker night. <laughs> darker. Now my stupid friends are having stupid children. Yeah. No, you you you're definitely uh, putting off those vibes lately, and <laughs> you have the exact same haircut. Right. I think you. Yeah. No. You're you're patterning everything after that special. On I'm that single man's white femaling depressed Bo Burnham. Yeah. I'm slipping comfortably into that motif. And I can't and, wait to get there, frankly. And we're we're going to we're going to talk about that film that film at some point because it's you know it, it could be Emmys night where it's mentioned. I, I think it has to at least be nominated as a special or something on Emmys. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty great. I'm not gonna lie. But we just literally before we hit record today, he's uh, putting out the the songs of the movie or, from the comedy special out as an album on mm-hmm. Spotify, etc., on streaming things and whatnot. So. These earworms are just going to get inside your your head, and they will never leave now. Angels and Airways released a song uh, last week. When I hear something that I like, Mm. and this is why I do get stuck in 2003 and 2000, it's all I play. Like, it's all I play. I don't listen to other things or seek (laughs) out new media. It's just what's on. That's it. Yeah, that's what I have to look forward to when that uh, when that album does get released right, by Bo Burnham. Thank God. I can't wait. So, again, I'm terrified of all this. This is <laughs> so... not good news for me. Um, it, it's almost – it's very French in, in, in design to make a ham-handed segue. Look at that. And it, just in terms of its general blah, blah, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, okay. Well. No, we're in trouble today for another reason, Michael. I did not write down a single – phonetic French pronunciation of any of these words. We're in big trouble. We're, we're in trouble for a couple of reasons, I would agree. That's probably <laughs> one of them. But let's let's go dive headfirst into the country of France as the Cannes Film Festival will begin July 6th, and it will run through July 17th, Michael. Yeah, of course, as we expected, as we've been reporting for a long time now, F9 The Fast Saga will be screening <laughs> at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival where it belongs, Michael. It's a comfortable place for it. It should be seen by uh, the people who frequent the Cannes Film Festival, I think. Yeah, it has makes a, a lot beach, of sense. It has a beach screening, and I really, really want it to just be like the walk-up to one of these, uh, 
street races. Just but, people get back in their cars after they see it and just go headfirst into the nearest building at 120 miles an hour. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward magnets, to. Magnets, yeah. Right. No, they, I can't imagine a stranger audience getting <laughs> a screening of F9, the Fast Saga, than that beachfront uh, group of just wearing... Mostly, I just picture them all dressed like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. At I, the end of... Yeah, at the end of uh, The Silence of the Lambs. Reality has gone so far off. It's killed comedy. So this is just proper. This is this would be like Fast and Furious being screened at the Cannes Film Festival by a bunch of like media critic snobs is something that would be a good SNL skit back in the day. And now it's just reality because that's what we, this is the times we live in now. Just bizarre. Uh, mm-hmm. One of our favorite film pundits, awards columnist, Ann Thompson, she wrote... Uh, a nice piece about the Cannes Film Festival, its history, and, of course, it's Slate, Michael. She did have something that we quibbled with, though. Uh, she she had a quote in here, and, you know, we could take this in a bunch of different directions. It's harder, quote, it's harder to create a media frenzy over the next parasite when there's fewer people to be frantic. I think Anne is a little concerned about this year's coverage of this year's Cannes Film Festival. What do you think? Well, I, I do take a little bit of exception with all due respect to, to the great Miss Thompson there. But look, last year was more dire and more desolate than this year's can will be. And it's not like Nomadland is this surefire world beater that's going to win Best Picture every year and definitely going to sustain the momentum it sustained. So there was a bit of a frenzy over Nomadland. It had a lot of momentum. It had a lot of groundswell support that it was able to maintain and sustain. So if she's talking about a film being able to do that, then yeah, I do take issue with the, with the idea that that can't happen. If she's talking specifically about uh, what Parasite did in terms of being a movie which can smash glass ceilings. Well, that's something that only happens like once every 20 years or so anyway. I mean, that shouldn't be something that happens every year. So I don't I don't necessarily agree that the, the lack of Ballyhoo and Red Carpet Affair is going to be necessarily a detriment to any of these films having big years, quote-unquote, unexpectedly. So this is fascinating because I was thinking about this all day and I was listening to screen, screen talk and I, I reread her article and I was trying to figure out where she was coming from because I do think on the one hand, like this is a commentary on new media from you because you, you talked about it. Like the grassroots campaigns happened via, you know, film Twitter in a way yeah. last year with Promising Young Woman and with Nomadland. Mm-hmm. And then again, I thought about like you maybe being a prisoner both of us are of film Twitter and maybe we're in like a film Twitter bubble there that that Anne is not necessarily in. So I I do think there's a sense that she's gotten this across in all of her writing and certainly in her in her book and where it's like the industry clearly goes to film festivals and the Academy is is an industry body. Right. And at the end of the day, these film festival grassroots campaigns they can matter if there's enough buzz and enough hype for a a film so the question is how how do you gauge that is it Mm. just the standing ovation at the Cannes film festival for the french dispatch Mm. and all of the excitement coming out from that into the rest of the film festival circuit etc etc like we've seen in the past like parasite everybody was dying to see that film before we we saw it two years ago Right. And then that's, I mean, and again, if that's, that's not something that should happen every year, Mm -hmm. that, that parasite phenomenon. But the idea that a film 
I guess I could see both sides of it, too, because it's not like Nomadland didn't have expectations going into it. That one kind of already got off the ground. So it, it, like you to your point you're making, it is tough to judge. I don't know what the barometer necessarily is. It could also be that we're just all in the people that do this out of the love of the game or suckers for the whole red carpet affair. And we just miss the, uh, the passion and the excitement and the, the, again, ballyhoo that goes with these types of film festivals. We want those back. And I, that I agree with, I, I, I want that back as well. I, I hope we get, they at least get a taste of it, and I hope one of these movies catches on. I'm not sure which one it'll be right now, but it is it is interesting that she seems to take the cross-section. She takes the temperature of the room, and the sense you get from, from reading her work and listening to the podcast there, Screen Talk, again, IndieWire Screen Talk, Ann Thompson, IndieWire.com. Uh, friend of the show, thankfully, and, and proudly, <laughs> we can say so. Uh, we we completely wore her out and exhausted her. Yes, in she was a very good trooper. Year. But Michael, we 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 basically understand her perspective of of base of saying that like maybe not enough people are going this year, at least on the surface. If she's count taking a, a head count, maybe the academy is not going to show up in the same, you know. Uh, cadre that they usually do at the at the Cannes Film Festival. Sure, but to that end, Mm -hmm. would that matter anyway? Because when we look at the Cannes lineup and we look at what's opening, we look at what's debuting and what's closing and look at the history of Cannes, like we're going to touch on here in this next lead in anyway, this next story we're going to talk about, I don't know that that would necessarily make heads or tails of a big shift when it comes to Oscars time anyway. Again, I think the upside of the Cannes Film Festival especially as Ann Thompson's covered it in the past. Uh, the upside is still there, I would say. I would hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah. hope. Yeah, so I agree. could this year's Parasite be in this group? I mean, there, there is the excitement when we, you know, we structure an episode like this. We're going to, we're going to talk about a bunch of new films, some that we previewed, some that we didn't hear. There is that possibility that the next Parasite, or at least the next Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to be in this group in a way. I wonder if there's, I mean, there's so many variables at stake here, too, because this is a year where it's just an absolutely loaded, it's two film years in one, and not only right. is it two film years in one film year, but it's a truncated film year on top of it. So mm-hmm. it's going to be, I think it's, there's a lot of things going against a film coming out of nowhere in the way that Parasite did. I would agree with that sentiment. So, yeah, so it, 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 we've, because we've seen trailers of them last year. Yeah, <laughs> for a right, lot of exactly. Movies that right. are about to go over. Yeah, okay. But all right, let's get into the slate here. We have uh, three films that we knew about going in. We have The French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's 10th film. We have Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta, the, uh, the sexy nun movie, of course, uh, <laughs> that we never knew we always wanted. Of the course. The movie's in the trailer. We, the IFC bought it. <laughs> We will be tuning in, as we always do, Paul. Uh, Amazon Primes, finally. Amazon Primes. Annette, starring Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, uh, Leos Carax. Again, I didn't look up any pronunciations. Sparks Brothers musical. We're going to have a Sparks Brothers Edgar Wright documentary coming out, Michael. Yeah. Uh, look, so of these three that we knew going in, the French Dispatch is the big name. Where are you at right now for that? Because you didn't love the trailer. I wasn't crazy about it. I, it was it was. Fine, I'm excited, like, I think everyone is about the next Wes Anderson movie, but do you get the feeling people are expecting the French Dispatch to be an awards monster already? Because, yeah. so you do feel that way? I feel like it was overrated, and then it got so 
overrated that it became underrated and now that it's still underrated and everybody's like well yeah Wes Anderson he's he's usually there he's good for a couple of noms screenplay yeah, nom, right uh, right and that's film. sure and that's what I'm kind of expecting like I, I I look he's only done one movie that ever got more than I mean we're talking Oscar noms and he's obviously one of the greatest directors going and I'm not belittling him in any way but in terms of this the French Dispatch being a surefire multi you know double digit Oscar nom he's only ever had one movie that did better than two noms I mean, I surely expect French Dispatch to compete in, like, production design and cinematography, like, some technical categories. But I I can't tell if I'm in the minority that I don't really expect this movie to be a huge awards monster. Because, one, Wes Anderson doesn't really have that type of track record. And, two, it seems to be an anthology film. And those don't usually play well above the line in terms of Oscars or Academy success. Yeah, it's either an anthology film or it's... uh quite the ensemble yeah (laughs) i mean 75 pages of characters and actors attached to this that's right so the trailer's a bit manic i would say there's some funny jokes in there i rewatched it before this one and and it's it works like there's some goofy uh, shots I, i i enjoyed it i think uh I think he's paying homage to his whole career in a way, and every single actor who's ever acted. You think so? <laughs> so, but that, you know that again. This is the upside of the Cannes Film Festival. I mean, if if the French Dispatch wins the Palme d'Or and it's in competition, now we're talking about a major contender coming out of Cannes this spring, and you're reinterpreting the fact that. Well, Wes Anderson saved his 10th film and mm. they saved it for this festival and this launch and, th- you know, this red carpet. It had to be here. And now it, it, it doesn't seem like they delayed it last year for, well, it wasn't going to play at home last year or whatever. For whatever reason, it wouldn't have won in last year's Oscar race because we can interpret it both ways right now. Sure. And, and there's look, I, I have I don't want to douse water on anything. But again, we're going back to. Yes, it's exciting that a Wes Anderson movie is coming out, and yes, it's exciting it's debuting at Cannes, but this movie, In the Heights, any movie coming out in the summer, I don't... Boy, it's going to have to be really good to get through what the fall has in store for us in those That's that 14-week right. stretch. But as far as Cannes' history of producing Oscar winners and having movies debut that turned out to be Oscar-nominated or Oscar winners, Mike, what do we got? Well, it's interesting because I wrote down all of the opening night films just to try and get a sense of the buzzy can titles, mm-hmm. like which because they'll they'll put those titles in their opening night selection or closing night. We don't know the closing night as far as I know for this year, but we usually have a French film involved in that. And otherwise, there's a couple of Oscar films in the last ten years. There's The Square, Ruben Ostland. There's uh, Moonrise Kingdom from Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby. Uh, a couple from He Who Shall Not Be Named there. Ridley mm-hmm. Scott's Robin Hood, though. Grace of Monaco. The Oscar Farhadi movie that was kind of crushed. Everybody knows with uh, Penelope Cruz. Yep. So uh, there's as many duds and flameouts and overhyped bombs in this list as there are movies that would go to distance. So it's a very boom or bust list in terms of the... The, the films that we were talking about heading into the last 10 Cannes Film Festivals. And I think Boom or Bust is kind of the aura of Cannes, at least for me in general this year, as we're going to get into the films that were picked and actually <laughs> were not and were excluded uh, from Cannes this year. One of the ones we already touched on, we talked about it, the one that will be opening up Cannes is Annette, the yeah. musical thing <laughs> that Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard... It is... Silly to me. Mm-hmm. Like I-, I was excited for Annette before Edgar Wright came out and said what a great 
movie it is and how wonderful it was to watch. It's silly to me in this year of great big budget studio musicals how excited I am for Annette of all of them. It's it's crazy how many more musicals there are than we expect this yeah. year. Like you, every time you think well, maybe the musicals will fall flat. Then you just think of four or five others, right. and Annette is one of those. Like we could literally have, you know, four musicals, five musicals contending at the end of the day at the Oscars, sure. and this would shock me, Michael. <laughs> Which is, I've said it a couple times now. I'm bracing for the bizarre with Annette, and I'm almost happily doing so because Same here. I love. Same here. I, I, I let's be honest. The Holy Motors from Leo Scarag. It, it's a fun movie. It's r- ridiculously weird, and it just—it's almost like. One of those, this is how I, uh, it's one of those jokes that goes on too long and, and, and makes you laugh because it just keeps repeating something. <laughs> yep. Time, and, yeah. Again, Bo Burnham specials. And right. Cetera, it's cetera, right cetera. up very, my alley. <laughs> very sad French. Anyway, uh, uh, look, so. Put it in my veins. <laughs> but then you have the Sparks Brothers, and they're this, this group of underappreciated stars that, you know, Edgar Wright just made a documentary about. So they did this for the stage. They, they made this uh, musical for the stage. And you have Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, two huge stars in it, Amazon Prime behind it. Yeah. But I just feel this is the definition of boom or bust. This is a major contender yeah. for an absolute bomb. Where where does it fall? Oh, my God. I, again, I'm bracing for weird. It's got a wide berth to satisfy me because it could either be good or completely bizarre. And I'll be like, yes, <laughs> that's that's what I needed. So <laughs> we have very different <laughs> expectations. <laughs> We're going to get into some of our highlights from the can selection. Like I said, but let's talk about how they group their screenings. We have in competition, which is the ones, the films that will be competing directly for the Palme d'Or. Uh, we have Uncertain Regret. Guard, which mm-hmm. has a competition amongst itself. And then we have out-of-competition films. There are special screenings, like Mike already mentioned, Fast 9 will be uh, screening there. Mm-hmm. And the director's Fortnite for more emerging talents debuts, etc. So let's look back at 2019 and kind of give you guys a cross-section here. For the Palme d'Or, Parasite beat some notable films. Parasite beat Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Les Miserables, beat uh, Pain and Glory, and it beat a little film called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mike. So it's the only time that would happen during that award season. There's a lot of cachet in the competition at the Cannes Film Festival here. Uh, Uncertain Regard, if you look through their list, there's a lot of good movies, a lot of movies that we, re- we will review. But I would say that it's more of an indie taste. It's more of a Sony's Pictures Classics kind of feel in a way. It's, uh, it's a certain regard... <laughs> It's 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 a <laughs> that was unbelievable. <laughs> uh, you're gonna leave it in, right? I I, of course, go- I am. I, uh, that anyway. was outstanding. <laughs> oh, just you you need the awkward humor. You need me <laughs> to fall on my face, just crying and soiled we're, in we're, a joke that every once in a while we're fake it till you make it. Except we don't even fake it properly. <laughs> No, and I knew you were going to le- force me to leave that in. I that knew was it. amazing. I, I almost tried to save it like no. three times. No. But then I mm. just couldn't do it. Oh. And I just, this is what happens when you have and diarrhea Tuesday of the Tuesday is complete. Yeah. It's just underprepared. It's underprepared, <laughs> this whole episode. Uh, but look, it, Vigo Mortensen's Captain Fantastic, Yorgos Lanthimos' Dogtooth, just movies that stuck, uh, stood out to me of the last 10 years, Beanpole last year 
All right, those are the films that are in uncertain regard, which is uh, ripe for puns that I failed to execute, Michael. <laughs> El Nino, which in English means the Nino. <laughs> Thank you for taking a late 90s SNL skit to describe my pain. Let's, let's talk about some of the bigger name films, Mike. Um, oh, God, that was great. That made my heart smile. We've previewed some of these. Which three films stand out to you that are here in Kansas this year? Okay, so a hero, Oscar Farhadi. We we mentioned this. We previewed this. Uh, Amazon Prime is behind it. Uh, I'm dying to see this film. He's returning to Iran. His his films have won two best international feature Oscars. And I feel like international film, to me anyway, based on what can selected, is going to be the category that either is shaped most or could be shaped most out of any of the major film categories from what the selections we're going to talk about anyway. So, so your your take there is that international film play play well at, at the Cannes Film Festival. And now I'm going to take a long drag out of this corn cob pipe. <laughs> <laughs> so you made fun of my takes. Uh, we are you made hot. Fun of my almost pun. We are hot, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, Memoria. This is Tilda Swinton. She is acting in a pitch of tongs. We're at the sockle. Wow. His film for Neon, Good he is, the, of course, the director of Uncle Boon Me, and uh, his name is a masterpiece that I hopefully got right. I don't know if it's quite right, but I I just, I, I spent a lot of time saying his name to myself. I think he's incredible. So that is a film a lot of people are talking about, former Palme d'Or winner there as well, Michael. Um, Red Rocket from A24. We're about to talk about a couple A24 films. Florida Project director Sean Baker. This is a buzzy title about a former porn star, a real life porn star who, you know, was fictionalizing his story here uh, in this film, going home to Texas and trying to uh, reconnect with his family. Uh, Again, A24, Sean Baker, good track record there. Yeah, knows how to pull at the heartstrings, especially about a family drama, that's for sure, at least what we've seen already from the Florida Project. We've also already previewed some Uncertain Regard, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but and out of competition films as well, uh, where A24 is going to be seen even more so. Yeah, after Yang, we've talked about a Koganada mm-hmm. and Lamb. I've mentioned this a couple of times, but this is a Numi Rapace. Uh, I think... I think they had a treasure trove, A24, Mike, and it's cool to finally get some of these movies released. Like, we had Jodie Turner-Smith in our, you know, way-too-early predictions yep. last year yep. because she was coming out in an A24th film from Coconut, and we were like, sure, yeah. Yeah. Picking her after Queen and Slim, and it was 100% accurate just a year ahead of our- ourselves, I guess. Exactly. Now she <laughs> exactly. gets the can rollout. Uh, as far as another big name that has been is high on lists already, uh, without taking the tongue-in-cheek, but a lot of uh, Oscar experts think Blue Bayou has Oscar's legs. So, all right, how do you interpret this classification then? Because Blue Bayou is in uncertain regard, and yet the release date was made much more Oscar-y because Blue Bayou was supposed to come out in July. It has been bumped to the end of September, Michael. This is Focus Features. This is on Clayton Davis's top ten list. How do you view this uh, classification? Because it's not necessarily in competition in the high cachet uh, category here. I, I, I always, I don't know enough about it because I always think that the studios play games when they're actually going for, t- we're going to talk about Netflix and their approach to film festivals and how they just refuse to put anything unless they're going for the film festival title, the championships, essentially. So I can tell I watch pro wrestling a lot. So that I, I can't, I, I'm always 
wary about putting too much stock into what studios do, whether or not they have their films compete or not. I do put a lot of stock into release dates. And again, I, I, September is going to be tough. That August-September release window is going to be tough because October to December is absolutely star-studded. Yeah. So I don't know that anything in September... You say something moves to September, and to me, all I think of is the Goldfinch. <laughs> you... Uh, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I do, too. I hope I'm wrong, too. But that's what first pops into mind. Yeah. The studio thinking, well, we have what could, we thought was an Oscars movie. Wait a minute. Let's see it. Oh, God. Let's just get rid of this. But typically, I mean, we've done the release date thing where we did this all the statistics. Typically, there are an August film and a couple of September films mm-hmm. in every year's Oscar slate. But you're saying just because October, November, December so loaded this Correct. year probably getting overshadowed that's why that's how i view it and i again i hope i'm wrong about it i'd love nothing more than to see something that comes out this summer actually maintain legs and i, I really want in the heights to do well right that's i and mean that's where i'm thinking of this yeah that's our june release that's going to be our next episode uh talk about a july release though we have Stillwater, the tom mccarthy matt damon abigail breslin film we kind of reviewed the trailer we didn't like it we have Mothering Sunday. That's just going to be a special premiere. This is the Lionsgate film we talked about with Olivia Coleman, mm-hmm. Colin Firth, Josh O'Connor, World War One film getting getting that special premiere. Like I said, so before we get back into the competition side of things, you know we do have we do have some films that could generate some buzz. Lionsgate's been a cool studio. Obviously, Stillwater from Focus Features. They know what they're doing as well. Sure. There's a lot of potential for uh, numerous categories, not just the international feature one that I said stupidly (laughs) to be shaped by what is going on at Cannes this year, and it remains to be seen. Uh, But we do also have some buzzy name titles that we have to add to our list now uh, that we had not made mention of until they were announced to be playing Cannes. Yeah, the last time Sean Penn adapted a a book of this quality, I would say, is uh, Into the Wild, and that one did well. Here he's got Miles Teller, he's got Josh Brolin, he's in competition with Flag Day, whose premise reads, A father lives a double life as a counterfeiter, bank robber, and con man in order to provide for his daughter. So Sean Penn, back on the silver screen. You think he's he's done trying to, to get international drug lords out of jail? Look, I, <laughs> I think Sean Penn's got a rap that's probably a little... <laughs> unfair i would say because i do think the band's doing a lot of good things out there i agree i agree uh i i would rather a a stuffy personality who's helping millions of people (laughs) and being a little you know insufferable about it and he's good at poking fun at himself too if you have never saw him on the old colbert rapport when he's kind of taking shots at himself in his overly serious tones go uh be sure to check that out on youtube i'm still a fan of sean penn all right bergman island we just saw the trailer for this, Michael. This is Mia Hansen Love, Mia Wasikowska, Tim Roth, Vicky Crepes. This was not the movie we expected from the trailer. Certainly not the tone I expected because when you read the synopsis, it's about a filmmaking, an American filmmaking couple who, it, it sounds like, interweaves the works of Ingrid Bergman into their own lives and they have a hard time disassociating one from the other. To me, that read as like a thriller or romance romance drama or something like that and the trailer was much more aloof and lighthearted i felt yeah i was very surprised it seems like it's just a vacation movie yeah but it's, it's a bit of a dramedy because you know it's married couples arguing <laughs> right which is you know fine it's and just everybody's I, not, getting not naked. the tone i thought yeah everybody's getting naked so can will love it 
I'll watch it while naked myself. Yes. There you go. And the joys of being at home still. <laughs> Paris, 13th district. No, no, no. I'm going to be in a theater. Now, God. <laughs> hearing a lot of buzz for this movie. Picked up by IFC. Jacques Audiard, he's had a lot of success at Cannes. He's a staple there. A prophet. The Sisters Brothers, Rust and Bone, are movies we've talked about in the past. This movie, Paris, 13th District, is uh, co-written by Celine Sciamma. Portrait of a Lady on Fire there. Yeah. Stars, the star of that film, Noemi Merlant. Michael, this is in competition. The French love the French in this competition. They certainly do, and I think we could be getting a little bit of a preview as to what type of decisions France is going to have in terms of what they submit as their international feature submission for the Oscars as well, because Paris 13th District, obviously a French film. I believe Bergman Island is going to be classified as a French film as well, even though I think the, at least based on the preview, a lot of it's being spoken in English, Um, but I I know it's... Look at this preface, my, or pre- premise. God. They're friends, sometimes lovers. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah, so that's the one that'll win. That will be the selection <laughs> for Best International Film, and it'll deserve it. All right. Uh, we got a lot of familiar filmmakers, Mike, that I wanted to make mention, and some film uh, familiar stars. Lea Seydoux, she has three films at this year's Cannes Film Festival. She's all over the French Dispatch trailer, Mike. She's in the story of my wife, okay, from El Dico and Yeti, who is the director of Oscar nomination on Body and Soul, your favorite movie of the last hundred years. Of course. <laughs> no, it, it, solid movie, good movie. Uh, Deception is her third. About a, She's playing an American novelist living for a time in London. Michael, Lea Seydoux... She's more than just a a Mission Impossible baddie. A sea captain makes a bet in a cafe with a friend that he will marry the first woman who walks in is the synopsis for the story of my wife. That sounds like either the start of like a bad joke or an urban legend. (laughs) And the luckiest man alive. (laughs) Right. Say do that walks in. Sure. (laughs) How about some uh, name actors in films from some more up and coming directors? All right, Hold Me Tight, starring Vicky Crape. She's in a lot of movies coming out after Phantom Thread. She's going to be an old. The delivery of every line in those trailers, Mike, from Vicky Crape's just bizarre. But this is Hold Me Tight from Mathieu Almeri. Uh, There's no pronounced. Way that, it's it's got to be Matthew or Matteo. <laughs> Matt Almerich. <laughs> Matty Almerich. Matty A. Uh, he, of course, is the bad guy from Quantum of Solace. He's my favorite character in A Christmas Tale. Big fan of his act, uh, star turned director here in the special premiere section. We also have uh, Cornel Mondrusco of Pieces of a Woman. We know nothing about his new film, Evolution. Ahed's Knee, Michael. This is from Nadav Lapide of The Kindergarten Teacher. So those are two, like, the original animal. kindergarten teacher, right? The original kindergarten yeah. teacher, synonymous after that. So this is an Israeli director. So these are some MMO favorite names here that I've been mentioning. Any of those stand out to you? Anything Vicky Crapes does from here on out is something that's going to stand out to me just because I was so wildly impressed with her in The Phantom Thread. And I think she's got, you know, I, I really do think she jumps off the screen. And if you can go toe-to-toe with Daniel Day-Lewis, you're you're someone special. So, yeah, I would so say hold me tight. M. Night Shyamalan line deliveries are weird. I you're am. Okay. You're still okay. I with am it. hopeful. I am hopeful. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I do think there's some more intriguing international films. The the worst person in the world, Joaquin Trier. He directed Thelma. I thought he did a nice job with that. Uh, Titan. 
pronounce the the uh, Julia Ducarnau of Raw, Michael Raw. Were you the one who who saw Raw and 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 said I had to see it, and then I saw it, and then they're eating ch- raw chicken, and it's weird, and but it's a good movie. But I gotta tell you, that sounds that? like me. <laughs> you recommended that to me, There's but I don't no think way. it was me. I don't think it was me. Oh, somebody did that. Anyway, she made a, a crazy debut there with Raw. I recommend that film. It's it's strange, but uh, very good. About like the first week of college or the last week of high school. I can't remember. But shit goes weird with... with uh, it was probably the Salmonella. Probably the Salmonella. <laughs> making people act strange. I would agree. All right. Everything went fine. Francois Ozan of uh, Swimming Pool. Charlotte Rampling, of course, is in it. Sophie, Sophie Marceau. Safi, I give you Mark all the credit Mark in the Kale. world for doing this. I think you're doing a great job, bud. Keep it up. <laughs> and Jane by Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, who of course is in all of Lars von Trier's move, uh, movies. Michael, all right. Any of those stand out where you're saying, "Oh my God, uh, I'm I'm thinking this is going to win the Palme d'Or and and take off." And I mean, look, I mean, we loved Cornell Mondrusco's first film that we saw, in Pieces of a Woman. Sure, uh, look. The Palme d'Or, having done MMO now for three or four years and gone through three or four Cannes film festivals, it's always something that I know very little about. And, I mean, you're certainly more in tune with the international uh, film category as a whole than I ever am, and that's a credit to you, and you're you're watching everything that's out there, and, and you are certainly an asset for that. So do, do any of these stand out to me? I could say yes or I could say no. I don't know that my word would have any <laughs> real weight there. Of the last six or so that you named, though, which one are you most looking forward to? Dudu. <laughs> Dudu is... Uh... <laughs> I just I, it's it's really fun again because this is like IndieWire's uh, IndieWire Super Bowl mm-hmm. and we right. love IndieWire all of year course, long of course. and it's just it's so fun to watch and to listen to Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn just get into a, a semantical argument <laughs> once an episode number one but certainly with this they're going at Titane talk about ends of a spectrum between them having an argument over pronunciation and us literally just like drooling on ourselves just drooling on ourselves (laughs) messing up everyone to the point where we're making it we're so sorry (laughs) tit annie which is french for boobs mcgee don't see this movie. No, I want to see this movie. She's one of the most intriguing directors in the film festival. Uh, but okay, Michael, we have four big name documentaries here. Yes. We have The Velvet Underground from Todd Haynes. Of course, Carol, Far From Heaven, Apple TV Plus already. A lot bought. of big music documentaries coming out this year in general, by the way. Yeah, we got Andrea Arnold, who did American Honey and Fish Tank, which is a hell of a film. A creepy one, but really good. Michael Fassbender broke out in that movie, by the way. Cow, she's making a movie about a cow, documentary that is. She saw Gunda and she was just inspired. Inspired. Joaquin Phoenix, I hope, is not a producer. Or maybe she hopes he is. Anyway, Oliver Stone is doing JFK through the looking glass. Oliver, stop. Just stop. Let the guy Back be dead. And to the left. <laughs> Back and to the Just left. Just stop it. How about Val Kilmer, who lost his voice and now is getting an A24 documentary going to Amazon Prime, Michael. So Val Kilmer documentary called Val. Certainly enough there to, I mean, that's terrible story, but certainly enough there to, for, for intrigue. And I would think enough substance for a documentary. What a What a career he had. What a career he did have. So, yeah, no, I'm fascinated by that. I think uh, documentaries are becoming more of a staple of film festivals these days, and it's cool to see 
the art form getting more publicity, I would say. It's like a goal. I said it a couple of times. I feel like we're in a golden age of documentaries right now with just the, yeah. the pure creative content and, and just the high value and quality of these that come out year after year after year right now. Well, I tell you what, I mean, some of the films I'm most excited for at Tribeca, the Anthony Bourdain movie, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, certainly coming up at AFI Docs. So that's later in my month. But all right, Michael, diversity still problem. Kate Erbland wrote a great uh, article for IndieWire. Again, uh, check out all of their coverage. Only four films in competition were directed by women, and that's not enough, not even close. This Overall, seems to be, I mean, it's a problem in the industry yeah. in lar- at large, but it seems to be specifically a bigger problem overseas in these European film festivals. Right? Can't, we've pounded the does, table over the way Venice has handled uh, di- women-directed films for the last couple of years. Anyway, we'll send you... Over to, to Kate's article there, Can Remains Male Dominated, Don't Let the Record Number of 2021 Female Filmmakers Fool You, Go Seek That Out, Go Read It, and I think she makes a lot of good points, because they were bragging about we've had more female-directed film female directed films than ever, tie, or, you know, right. tied for the most ever, and yet only foreign competition, so uh, this is this you know uh, a representation of the systemic problem that we're dealing with, because Can is one of the most you know, notorious for having the same directors back in every year. Yep. And to their credit, they actually move some of their regulars over to uncertain regard, over to the special screenings, etc. They moved them to different categories for once, and they, they invited some new voices in. However, it's not enough. So my question to you here is, do you think this is going to be the way the year goes? Do you think we're looking at, you know, the, the, the Hollywood system pushing a lot of the male-directed films or whatever, the white films, to the future a little bit. I, I just think, looking at the slate a little bit, I am worried. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm just worried because we came through one of the s- silver linings of last year is we had more representation right. than ever. And I think I think this is going to be a backlash because so many of these films were kept that were supposed to be out last year. The studios want to make money with them. And they want to chase Oscars with them, so they held them out till this year, and it's just going to be a lot of male-dominated, white-dominated stories, at least in, in terms of the, the bigger ones, I believe. I hope to be wrong, but that's just, you know, if you yeah, go down the list yeah. and you look at the movies that were held back by studio that are going to be released this year on top of all the new releases, it seems like it's going to be, it's going to be very uh, interesting. It's not a strong enough word. We're going to have to keep a critical eye on that USC study that comes out at the end of the year this year to see how many women finish in the top 100 highest grossing films as how many women directed films were on that list. Yeah, I I just I'm fearing a regression. Yeah, totally fearing a regression. All right. The movies that did not get selected at Cannes or that were buzzed about that did not wind up there. I'll mention a few, and then we got the Netflix talk, Michael, because mm-hmm. the card counter, Paul Schrader, Tiffany Haddish, not going to be there. The Green Knight, we thought that was going to be at last year's Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. It's not there. We we heard a lot of buzz heading into it, whether it was Awards Watch there, Eric Anderson writing it in his his great article, uh, Who's in the Running, for the Cannes Film Festival, etc., we thought Park Chan-wook was going to have decision to leave. We thought Pablo Lorraine's Kristen Stewart, Princess Diana film, Spencer, Sweden's Triangle of Sadness from Uvren Oslund, who's a Cannes favorite from The Square and Force Majeure. Of course, those are the big names, the non-Netflix names, but of course, you, we, we've gone through the, the entire Netflix slate and none more than Jane Champion's The Power of the Dog should have been here, right? I mean, she is a former Palme d'Or winner. 
she's French. I mean, she should be there, right? And they had a big argument where, again, listen to Ann Thompson's screen talk. It sounded like that, that they couldn't come to an agreement where Netflix films could play at this year's can. They, they wanted them to play out of competition. But, of course, Netflix is like, if we're going to go, we're going to be in competition, especially with the Jane Campion movie, her big comeback movie since Top of the Lake won Emmy. Yeah, right? Netflix wants to, like I said, go after the titles of these film festivals. That's the only reason, that's the only way they'll say they compete. And there was also some kind of big dispute with the French government, as the French government was saying, well, you're not going to actually debut in France, play theaters in France, so why would you, you know, when we can't just debut you here. And they went back and forth. But I, I think we're still a year away before we see... Because of the pandemic, this was going to be a big story last year if it was all things normal because Netflix was planning on skipping all these major festivals. But now because of, again, the pandemic happening and screwing up all the schedules for everyone's everything, I think we're still a year away before we see what, if any, fallout both the Oscars picture and the film festival picture at large has by Netflix's absence. I don't know that it's necessarily going to play that big of a role this year because we have so much catching up to do. But next year, I think we're going to really see when things return to kind of a status quo or return to more of normal for the Oscars and awards schedule. I think that's when we're actually going to have our eyes on what kind of impact the lack of Netflix has at these places and what roles that plays in the Oscars picture and how Netflix adapts to the Oscars picture without having to rely on these film festivals. Well, again, though, Mike, I can't help but reading between the lines here because this is intriguing because at last year's festival, Spike Lee was supposed to be the Mm -hmm. chair, right? The Five Bloods was going to premiere out of competition and obviously they didn't have it. It's a shame because maybe they get more Oscar noms if it does premiere at Cannes and the whole industry sees it, even if it was virtual. But okay, Spike Lee is going to be the chair of this year's festival. So it seemed like they had that built-in olive branch where they could have come to an agreement sooner. They could have come to an agreement this year. Or maybe they, maybe Netflix was doing Spike a solid last year. Yeah. And saying, okay, will they be with there since you're going to be there or since you want to be part of the panel? And, you know, I don't know. Maybe it, Netflix made an exception. Yeah. Just kind of, but it's still, they, at least that was like, you know, that was, you know, they came to the table together. Sure. Even if, a, if it was a mutual friend that yeah. brought them there. And now they're back at odds again and they're all aggravated about it. Everybody's aggravated, aggravated about it. And if Netflix wants to use the film festivals, they'll probably do it like they did two years ago and use Venice. I think Netflix is used to people being aggravated at them at this point, and I don't think they much care, to be honest. I mean, they're they're you know they're still the kings of streaming. They still have the most number, they still make the most revenue, and they're one of the biggest studios going. And they can work with anyone they want at any time they want for any amount of money they choose. All right, yeah. No, I, I unfortunately I think uh, I think that's the case, and, it, and it's it's frustrating, especially for us who cover this, and you know. It, when you don't follow the normal layout and you don't use the film festivals, it, I, I do think it's hurt Netflix a little bit, even though I don't think they've had the movie of the year. Uh, the film festivals better hope it hurts Netflix on some level. I think it has. I think it has. Maybe they have, because there's been a couple of close races. They could have powered their way to a best picture win for something at some point. I don't, or maybe Roma. Right. Good. So, hey, sure. Yeah. I mean, you're making a lot of sense, but I, I think in general, if if Netflix can prove, I mean, can you imagine if Netflix holds their own film festival? Well, that's the thing. But and that's where know, this is headed. Yeah, maybe. But again, then again, I mean, Roma was the one that used the film festivals the most, right? That year mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. Marriage Story. Anyway, uh, look, I mean, I, I think 
we got to watch the Netflix drama continue to play out with uh, with Can over the next year. Like you said, uh, the final thought on that is that we, we are getting Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir Part 2, uh, which I believe is A24, and 25 other films at the sidebar selection. That is the director's Fortnite. That came out today. News of that came out today. So that's cool. I'm looking forward to that one. The first one was very good. Yeah. I believe it's on Amazon Prime. So... Also weird, weird, weird batch of selections for Can for me too. Because if you were, if I were to power rank what I wanted to see at Can between what actually got picked and what was rumored, my top four would have been Decision to Leave, Spencer, The Green Knight, and uh, right, and Card Counter, and none of them went. So that's just you know, well, I, you that's subjective. That's, but do you think that's again a testament to what Ann Thompson was saying at the beginning here, perhaps come full circle, where she's like, "This is a quote unquote transitional year for Can." And they recognize that. And maybe they don't have quite the fanfare that they're going to have next year or that they've had in previous years. And maybe Venice is that festival this year where, like it did last year, Nomadland launches, mm. the best picture launches at Venice. And so maybe the, are these films moving over? I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting theory. My, my take would have been, don't you want to have some of those names attached try to bring in more people like don't you want Kristen Stewart at your yeah. film festival don't you want Paul Schrader at your film festival I don't know it may be all moot point and we're going to get a big studio winner this year in yeah. this picture no matter what but all right speaking of big studio films we got some Oscar trailers I think we're both smitten with a couple of them let's start with last night in Soho Michael you, obviously I've talked about how crazy I am for Edgar Wright movies I demand an Edgar Wright rewatch <laughs> at some point uh, this is a coming of age psychological thriller time travel horror mil- movie the same uh, a, movie Hollywood keeps giving us every all year of this, yeah. yeah all of this is communicating in the trailer I was just over the moon with it I think you were as well it drives home like this nostalgia but it doesn't overdo it. There's still all these genre goods delivered. Like I feel like this trailer succeeded where the reminiscence trailer is going to fail so miserably. It's very single white female. There's the second single white female reference in this episode. Second like single white female episode. times Inception vibe in this trailer with like a sprinkle of black swan if Mila Kunis's character was never actually real. Because I don't know that one of Anya Taylor-Joy or uh, Thomas and McKenzie... Are they both real? Are they fake? I don't know what's going on there, but I tell you what, this trailer is how you do that slowed down, remixed and remade older song. The Downtown, the Petula mm. Clark song sounded great here. And it has a payoff at the end of the trailer mm-hmm. too. So check that out, people. I wonder if he's doing the horror goods properly, like the jump scare stuff really didn't work for me. I know he's paying homage to Frantic there and, and other movies like it, those, those 60s you know, psychological thrillers Mm -hmm. that were strange and that got all the neon, you know, uh, giallo effects and filters with the camera, right? So you have that, plus you have creepy Matthew Smith, you have creepy Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas and McKenzie doing the Black Swan thing. I just, I'm I'm, kind of torn between the two things because, like, the giallo stuff is a little hokey for how how polished everything else is. And for these new faces that I, I love and that are all, always in these smooth compositions. And then, I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I, I walk away with, with two things. So like, this hopefully works, and I'm rooting for it. But also, Edgar Wright's going to direct a Bond movie. And it's he's going to direct a Bond movie in the next 10 years, I think. 
Are you trying to temper your own expectations here because of how excited you know you get with Edgar Wright movies? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So you're calling me out for trying to reverse jinx this movie. But but if I'm nitp- I have to nitpick a couple things. Like the, the whole reaching up from the floor thing didn't work for me. I'll be honest. Okay. All right. Um, they're giving it that October release date, so it's gonna. They they think it's a horror. They think it's a horror, so it's it's October, but it's my kind of horror movie, though, right? I mean, it's our kind of horror movie with the with the Jane. I mean, Thunderball premiere. She's walking into the Thunderball yeah, premiere. It's really cool. It's re- it looks great. It really does. All right, we got a couple trailers that we're not going to go into great detail with, but a couple trailers here that we want to make mention of: Dear Evan Hansen, Eternals, and No Sudden Move that'll be at Tribeca. All right, dear Evan Hansen, he's twenty-seven, playing seventeen. Again, why is this a thing that's happening all the time? All the time. Just they look so obviously not in high school. Look, he's twenty-seven. He looks twenty-seven. That's great. Right. Uh, It's fine. He can really sing. I get why he's (laughs) the one doing it because it's a star-making role on Broadway. But it's absurd to see Amy Adams speaking to him like a child. It's absurd. It's a movie problem. It's a it's a big silver screen problem. I agree. I, I agree. Like, and we we. I mean, Ben Platt's a fine actor, but that wig isn't doing him. And nobody, you know, it's again, it's the wig, it's the never been kissed thing. Whether it's a wig or his hair, it's like it's never been. You kissed. don't belong in this high school, sir. Like I'm older and I look even older, but he's he's old and he right. looks his age. Right. He doesn't look like uh, anyway. All right, Eternals. Not a good trailer, Mike. Very disappointing. I don't want to crush the buzz that I put on it and, and predicted it for, but I did not expect, you know, these gods, these Marvel gods, humorless, doing this Prometheus story with cave people. Yeah, I. Uh, what the hell? I don't know exactly. I don't have an answer for what the hell because that was my re- reaction too. I don't. Maybe it's being downplayed to temper expectations like you just tried to do with the Edgar Wright movie and, and Marvel's going to stun us. I mean, Shang-Chi looked phenomenal in that preview, yeah. and this is kind of the opposite. And I was much more excited for the Eternals. I still have faith in Chloe Zhao. How can you not after the you know last 16 months we just talked about? So I And I'm, I, I like this cast. I'm very hopeful. It's still the MCU. They kind of need to get it right because they need to have stories land that they can make sequels of and new material in IP4. So I, I, I'm hopeful, but like you, I was let down by this trailer. I'm going to try and be extra snotty and insufferably negative about it leading in to where it just overperforms on my expectations. So no, this is totally me conditioning myself to somehow like it again. Yeah, uh, I, I hope that day. works for us. I really hope so, too. Finally, No Sudden Move. This is Steven Soderbergh. This is a great cast on Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, et cetera, et cetera. This trailer told us the whole story or did it tell us the whole story? Like I'm really concerned that I every like I like the mask they're wearing. It's cool. It's strange. It's a, it's a re- weird way to do a crime movie, and yet I feel like we got deep into Act Three, if yeah. not late Act Two. I feel like they like Soderbergh saw the town and saw John Hamm getting out of a cop car, and just wrote this movie around having a shot of John Hamm getting out of a cop car and putting a fedora on. <laughs> like Steve, yeah. Steven Soderbergh, Stephen King. This is going to be his fourth film since 2019, with a fifth already in post-production as well, and that doesn't include 
what he did with the Academy Awards. The guy just <laughs> works and directs his ass off, but every time I get excited for a project of his, I get let down. Not every time. Not every time, but well, here's five the- times since 2019. <laughs> five times, you're right. But, and then... Then he has one movie. What was the Claire Foy film? Unsane. Yeah, like one out of every five movies of his, I I, I, I am in love with. But it it fools me. Like Unsane was great, the 2018 film. But yeah, you know the 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 boat movie that was on HBO Max was eh. The Oscars were eh. High Flying Bird was eh. Yeah, the Meryl Streep movie on Netflix. Yeah, eh. the laundromat. Exactly. Exactly. Like, take a breath, Steve. Yeah. Ah. Uh. And then, of course, well, at least he, he nailed the Oscars, I guess, as a producer, right? <laughs> Mike, hopefully it's the, you know, he's due, and it's the this is the one out of the next five. I, I, I would like that, yes. It looks intriguing. Looks cool. All right, Reminiscence, this trailer. I mean, we've seen this movie all over the Oscar lists, right? Everybody's Oscar lists. Hugh Jackman, Thandie Newton, Rebecca Ferguson, HBO Max. Over the summer, it's coming soon, I believe. End of the summer. What the hell? Reminiscence. Total Westworld water world recall. <laughs> That's my take on Reminiscence. Yeah, it's Total so- Recall, it's Westworld, and it's Waterworld all in one. I don't see... This looks like an action sci-fi thriller. I don't... It's like Elysium or, you know, yeah, Live, yeah. Die, Repeat. I don't know that it's necessarily an Oscars player. Brilliant scientist who's also astutely skilled in rooftop <laughs> hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk. Let's finish with a trailer that uh, we thought we both thought was cool, uh, but I'm wondering if I'm possessed now by a demon. Demonic. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Demonic IFC Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, we're kind of in a great spot for indie horror right now. For as terrible as like you know the world has been lately with the pandemic, <laughs> it's it's kind of produced some great indie horror movies. We've talked about Rentapal and Gretel and Hansel and Relic. Uh, we've also mentioned Yayorona, which I will never pronounce correctly. Possessor, anything for Jackson, Host, and so on. So the last fourteen months have really been great for indie horror. Neil Blomkamp mm-hmm. is is a director, a writer director. We're excited about. We like his stuff, and this trailer for an indie horror that was picked up by IFC. It delivers the goods on something that's going to leave you wanting more, I think, or at least we're interested in just exactly what the hell is going on with this a scanner very, very darkly type movie. I am thinking that this is potentially very cool with the VR that's possessed sort of thing. And I do think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think indie horror has been more accessible maybe during the last year and a half because those movies are getting more of a spotlight being at home and available on PVOD or VOD or for $7 as opposed to something that's available for 30, 20 or 30 bucks, Mm -hmm. Mike. So yeah, I mean, we've been all over it and at the same time, I think some of these movies have really flopped in my eyes or been way overhyped. Some of the studio ones, the bigger ones, especially I would agree with. Yeah, maybe a, a movie with a terrible subtitle that we're about to go over. But <laughs> Mike, Mike, and Oscar, the devil made us do it. The, the Somebody made them do it. Uh, I think <laughs> money was involved. But look, I think a possessed VR with the, that chanting music. Or, or it was creepy. That, it was creepy as I shit. I was creeped out. I, I, I want to see it. I'm very intrigued. I'm more intrigued by that than I am by reminiscence. Totally. 
you know? I, I'm worried about my salvation. I don't know about you. But, all right, we did a little trailer <laughs> thought segment there. Uh, if this reminds you guys of anything, uh, let us know. But, all right, we want to talk about one casting story because a couple things happened. The Northman moved to 2022. Bummer, Robert Eggers. Taylor Swift joined Canterbury Glass. She's like the 20th big-name actor, uh, yeah. taking your take there. But you have takes, Michael, on the eyes of Tammy Faye's first-look photos because we got a whole bevy of them. This is, of course, the uh, the televangelist true story with Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield. Yeah, and here's the quote from Jessica Chastain talking about the, the eyes of Tammy Faye. Quote, here's a woman that I had an idea of because of what I was fed about her. Even the thing about the mascara running down her face, there's not one picture of her with mascara running down her face in reality, but people were always making her into a clown and punishing her for the mistakes of her husband, which all throughout history, women have been the victim of atoning for the sins of men. Like, hmm. okay, I'm, I'm with you. Jessica Chastain. I'm, I'm here for it. As a feminist empowerment movie, I think this ha- could have legs. As a time and a place in woke culture, women being marginalized for the sins of her husband, but here's the real story retelling, I think this movie could do something. But my question is, and my concern is, are they aiming too big with this? Because is there enough of an audience to care about this specific story? I don't know how they're going to market this movie or how who they're marketing to. Because if you walk up to any like 18 to 40-year-old, how many yeah. of them are going to know who Tammy Faye Baker is, much less care about wanting to see her biopic? Yeah, I, think, uh, I think every movie has an audience, and the kids are not showing up to this one. <laughs> well, it's not even kids. Like, I'm, I, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm a yeah. lifelong pop culture junkie and media junkie and yeah. have been since the early 90s, and even I had to look anything up to remember her being more than that famous woman who was married to that preacher. But I, right. I don't know, like the Aretha Franklin biopic, you, you know, you know what you're getting. I just don't know that this movie, it, I like its grand ideas. I like its grandiose aim and the framing of it that Jessica Chastain's feeding me. I, I just have no idea how you would market this. Uh, this movie bothers me because I have a lot of religious baggage and sure. grew up in the and church. And I'm sure you're not alone and that's definitely going to be a problem it has to overcome. So yeah, that's, that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's as an Oscars vehicle, it just... Movies like this always seem like they're bitter, like they're just it's just sour grapes. The the it's the tone of them mm. because it's not coming from a perspective of faith, right? So it's not like they're gonna honor the the faith and crush the the phoniness, the false prophets here. They're they're not gonna do that. They're just gonna crush them all. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a, a ripping satire, and uh, you know I don't know. I just I don't need to be that bitter about things this is my where i come from i guess i think that, i mean that makes a lot of sense and you're you that's exactly the demo i'm talking about like mike if i were to say tammy faye baker do you know who i'm talking about outside of her being someone married to a preacher i mean the name make it reminds me of somebody i probably yeah no rings bells no i knew she was on the 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 network there okay yeah yeah i, I just and that's the thing so if, are you gonna prepare yourself to go watch a biopic that has religious overtones and you know how those types of movies play in your own mind like there's so many things i think this has to overcome that god bless jessica chastain if she can do it but i i am shocked there there's talk about positioning this one as an oscars player which clearly there is even by the just those set photos i mean that's a blueprint that's an oscars grab blueprint that we've seen play out however you have an Andrew Garfield bias. So this could be all filtered percent. through that lens. A thousand percent. Of your bias <laughs> against a good man and a great actor, Andrew Garfield. It's very true. 
All right, we can make the case for a couple bigger movies that came out as we uh, speed towards the end of this episode here. Mike, you saw Cruella. Can you make the case for its costume design and makeup and hairstyling legs? The highlights of the film. I mean, the, the big, the goods that Cruella packs are entirely built around those dresses, the fashion wars between the Emmas and the crazy hair, the, cra- the you know the crazy makeup the, the I mean it's like this Banksy duel thing going on. <laughs> it really was a cool historical retcon of the 1960s London. The soundtrack felt like I Tanya. I mean this was hmm. not a movie for kids really. I mean maybe kids like it. I don't know. Maybe kids are just more sophisticated than they than than when I was was young. But to me, this was like a PG-13, Craig Gillespie, if you told me this was, uh, you know, if you if it wasn't about Cruella DeVille and they took away some of the hokey, you know, connections to that, if this was just like a PG-13 fashion wars, devil wears product kind of thing. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Does it come off? I mean, it, it obviously to me seems like it was inspired by a devil's wear, devil wears Prada type of story. Is that how it plays as well? Oh, for a while, yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's got... But the problem is it's got this goofy backstory that they they bring into the main narrative so well, but for a while you're, like, frustrated. So if you do watch this one, and I I think this is a helpful spoiler-ish kind of thing, just just give it a minute. You know, give it it 20 minutes before you're like, wait, why did that happen? That's stupid. Oh, okay. Because that was me. That was me in the first half, you know, first act. Like, just color her damn hair. Just dye the hair. Every, most of the people on the planet dye their hair. Just dye her hair. Uh, I, they, they, they have a big, you know, they have big payoffs for those. I mean, not the huge payoff for the hair thing. I still think she should have just dyed the freaking hair. But I, I, do, I do enjoy how the script pays things off. And it's from Tony McNamara of The Favorite. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, again, this is not who you'd think would make a Disney film, so I do give Disney a lot of credit for making Fashion Joker and for giving this movie a real, I guess, dark side. And, look, I mean, if you're concerned as a dog owner, don't be. I think Colby Mack just tweeted about it. So that just, uh, that's all I'll say. Don't okay. be. I, I, think, uh, I think it's a great dog movie as well. A great. That's not something I was expecting at all. Well, so I mean, they retconned it. They retconned it. So I did spoil that. Damn it! But all right. <laughs> but but aside from the potential Academy legs, yeah. we, we were obviously very fearful of this and down the well with swell. And Amanda just released a video uh, exactly. on Tuesday today talking about how surprised she was. As a whole, you agree? Good movie. Good movie. B plus all day. Wow. A lot of fun. I was pleasantly very surprised. Wow, and I was surprised that I was surprised. All right, so that's uh, that's some a couple categories there for Corella. What about the sound categories for A Quiet Place Part Two, Michael? Yeah, maybe VFX as well. The oh, wow. creature feature stuff is great. It works so good on a big screen. Like that was, I, like I'm not gonna lie, I had goosebumps and I had like tears in my eyes just being back in a movie theater, yeah. Mike. Yeah, I'm sure. And I was on a huge BTX crown movie i loved it awesome. i just i had a great time in the theater i don't know how good the movie is again it's like another b plus 87 88 millicent simons emily blunt and cillian murphy giving tremendous performances and that's what kind of that's what elevates 
A Quiet Place, the bo- both films. Like, these performances are next level for... for Millicent Simon should have been no- nominated as a supporting actress for A Quiet Place Part 1. Just terrific. Yeah, and, and she has even more of a showcase in this film. Good. So I'm very happy to hear that. I love her. You'll, you'll enjoy seeing that. There's also some world building that I need a spinoff movie on. I need several. You I have teased so many. this before. Is this a, a character-driven... I have so many questions. That's all I'll say. I don't want to, you know, tell you this or that. But I have so many questions. I need to know the backstories <laughs> of a few of these settings. You're making me intrigued. Know. I haven't been out to a theater yet because, you know, when I step outside, I die. But uh, you're making me want to risk it. <laughs> the, look, the movie is kind of it's frustrating at times. Like, Noah Jupe, I want to just yell at him. And I can't in a quiet <laughs> hollowed out world i just want to yell at no jupe but he even still the movie was uh yeah i mean it's a sound designer's playground for certain so it wouldn't shock me at all to see this be there at the end of the day it's featured in the film of course even though it's a louder movie overall that but i you know what they tried to execute taking you into the more louder set pieces of like the arrival the flashback that you know you're going to get from Mm -hmm. the trailers right they executed it brilliantly. I, th- I just thought it was, it was awesome. They, you know, John Krasinski has shown up as just he he can make a movie, and I, I you know hopefully he does something beyond this sooner than later. But the fact that he's two for two right out of the box is is exciting for him, and the fact that he's doing it with Emily Bunt by his side is is awesome. And she's she's just as good as as anybody in 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 either of these films. So A Quiet Place Part Two worth seeing in the movie theater. I'm curious at how it'll play if it's on Paramount Plus and you wait for it, as opposed to how good it was with the seats you know rumbling behind you. You know, I'm glad Paramount held. I was sure when the pandemic first started i was sure netflix was going to end up buying that title from them i I would have put especially with the way netflix stock was moving and everything i was so positive that netflix was going to like put 700 million on the table to get that movie out of paramount but they uh, they had sandra bullock in the uh what was that movie that was such a huge hit? bird box yeah bird box yeah that's that's part of the reasoning why the 46 million or some odd yeah absolutely but yeah no i'm glad paramount held on to it i'm glad it's playing in theaters i'm glad it lives up to uh so gun to your head which do you prefer quiet place one or two? Oh wow it's two i like wow. it better okay good good to I know did. that's a great endorsement there uh I so enjoyed one but yeah look we we were underwhelmed by one because of the hype train right correct right which was so that's what's gonna happen i mean you know you yeah. we you heard all sorts of Oscar-related things going into that one, but it sounds like, based on what you're saying, this one has legitimate legs as well and could be a player in the Academy in a couple categories. You know, technical categories, yeah. for sure. And 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 maybe... No, no the, the actresses have no chance, unfortunately. Right. Which because is, this year is just so loaded. Right. Uh, we'll touch on the other big release from this week, which was obviously Conjuring Part 3, The Devil and... Daniel Jones made me do it. We'll talk about a box office update within that release as well. Memorial Day weekend was the best weekend since March 2020 of the pandemic. Uh, the total gross of American theaters over Memorial Day was over 80 million. That was like a 45% clip from the previous Memorial Day weekend. This weekend, uh, things actually took a bit of a downturn. We were looking at a 42% clip of the same weekend two years ago from June of 2019. 19, Michael, but uh, that said, Conjuring 3 
had almost $10 million when it opened on Friday, and it finished the three-day weekend with $25 million over 3,100 theaters. Pretty solid for a movie that's also, you know, premiering day and date at home on Mm -hmm. HBO Max, I would say, even though... Look, I mean, it's like a middling film, right? I mean, so we're going to get into the review now a little bit. The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. We knew it was doomed from the subtitle, didn't we? I like the subtitle. I'm going to be honest. Like, I, 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 I kind of like the it. playing with the satanic stuff there. <laughs> I, I was hopeful, but because I was hopeful, I was disappointed. Yeah, I just I feel like they, they had a lot of the goods ready to be delivered, and they just kind of failed in the execution. But, all right, let, let's let's put A Quiet Place 2 and Corella in the context here. We have A Quiet Place 2 up to $138 million. We have uh, Corella up to 87 worldwide. Uh, we the Spirit Untamed didn't do well, like you said. The, la- the next weekend it's wasn't as good as Memorial Day. crushed by reviews, too, by the way. Spirit Untamed. crushed. Uh, Raya has never really done well in the theaters. 118 total. Uh, Demon Slayer. Again, China is booming, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, but China has been booming, and Demon Slayer is up to 452 worldwide, 47 domestically, too, which is something else. China's Dream- helped uh, Fast 9 get off to a $250 million international start, too. Incredible numbers coming out of yeah. China. So th- if you're worried about the box office... International box office is going to buoy things up. Mm-hmm. But look, I mean, Godzilla vs. Kong, 436 worldwide, 99 domestically. That's number one domestic since the pandemic started, I believe. A Quiet Place Part 2 is now in second with 88. Tenant, to give you guys more context, was 58 domestically uh, from 2020. So here we are, Conjuring 3, making some money. I... I just wonder what Conjuring 3 would have made if it only came out in theaters, Mike. It probably would have made it double that, is my guess. Interesting, because I'm not sure the repeat ticket sales would be that high for this. Right? I, I mean, I, I'm surprised that the the base Conjuring movies, the first two, were really, really well done. And I always thought that was kind of the pillar of this entire cinematic universe. We're going to make sure we nail the Conjuring entries. So we have a base to go off of for all for the Annabelles yeah. and the nuns and all that. But we have yeah. to make sure these Conjuring movies are great. This one is not in the same realm as the first two for me. I don't think so either. I still think if they just called it The Conjuring 3 and released it solely in theaters, you're making $50 million. You're, you're basically back-to-back you're probably right. with horror you're probably right. making big money. Anyway, just so much potential. Like the Warrens in this whodunit, who's the Satanist mystery dueling with this master satanist is just the scary cool idea for any plot line that i will buy a ticket for like totally i'm, I, with I'm in for that i'm with you uh, even if it gets a little christian superhero-y and this movie is about christian superheroes as as gross as it gets that's what this movie is we reviewed the whole franchise up to now but we eschewed this one because it was just it was not striking us as something that we were we were dying to do an episode on and we're just like we're, you know we're 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 kind of keeping our powder in the chamber, right? We're not just going to yeah. review every movie that comes out here in a huge episode, yeah, especially when we know it's going to disappoint. It's It sucks, too, because this is something, I mean, we certainly put it, like, there's, not to speak for everybody, I, I mean, there, I know there's devout fans of The Conjuring, but we put so much time and effort into this series, and we love following this series, and we love what James Wan did with it, and we love Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson being main players and getting their own spotlight, and... I just thought the execution of this story was, you're right, the, the bones are there for something that could have been really, really cool. The execution 
maybe they were rushed because of the pandemic. I don't know, but it felt very fly by night to me. And you know how much, look, we're story junkies. We say this every review and this story just doesn't live up to snuff. And they, they kind of blew their load immediately, right? Cause that the opening sequence being as batshit crazy, where immediately you get the, the most lunatic possession, wind blowing like basically the end of conjuring two at the beginning of conjuring three why why did they do that can we do this exorcism here no we have to go where there's more glass (laughs) we have to bring this small child where there are plates and cups that can be flown like the kid is contortionist give me a break it's it's just, just just give me a break and the fact that it becomes the movie devolves into an snl skit Remember the Californians? <laughs> they just talk about the traffic. Yes. You should go in the pool and they're talking in the mirror. It just devolved into that, but about Connecticut and all the surrounding towns that we live in, about yeah. our two counties. About yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the, just, it's impossible for a person from Connecticut to watch this movie. Because all, I, know. I know you were doing it, and all I was doing was, like, I was putting together people that I knew in my life. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, my ex was right next to Fairfield University, so yep. they're probably yep. here, and the, this is taking place here. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's totally Danbury, impossible. Yeah, exactly. Get Monroe. This is, this, I've worked this in river. this courthouse, and I've seen probably that process. I should have grabbed the... I was literally thinking, like, oh, I know this happened in the courthouse I worked at. I should have grabbed the file from it or asked my ex ball. Like, I, I shouldn't have watched this movie. <laughs> You shouldn't have watched it. Then we did. And it sucked, unfortunately. So uh, very unfortunate. Hopefully the box office still does okay. Hopefully Fast 9 opens well. Uh, Like you said, it it really crushed internationally. Mm -hmm. But again, some major numbers from China. Hi, Mom. You ever hear of Hi, Mom? I've said that to my mother. No, I don't. $827 million in China. You ever hear of Detective Chinatowns 1 or 2? No. Detective Chinatown 3 made $686 million, Michael. And third place, we have Godzilla vs. Kong with 436. So China's doing just That's fine awesome. over there. And yeah, it's, those are huge numbers in any year. So that's that's exciting. And the fact that it's buoyed up solely based on their numbers alone is even more impressive. Uh, very impressive. Very hopeful. Theaters aren't dead yet. Let's hope that they can come back from all of this uh, stateside as well. But yeah, definitely stuff to be excited about there. We will wrap up touching on some Oscars and Academy news here, Mike. Okay. Big news a couple weeks ago, but we got to comment on it. We are an Oscars pod, and this was a smorgasbord of an episode, but we got to <laughs> end with an Oscar story. Look at the date moved from February 28th, 27th, whenever it was going to be, now to March 27th. So we have... A couple different things going on here, Michael, with the dates. Oscars night is going to be March 27th. Okay, so that means the debut qualifying deadline for films, that's still going to be New Year's Eve 2021. So the official film year for 2021 goes from March 1st through Mm -hmm. December 31st. So we had last year what was a 14-month eligibility window, followed by this year, which is going to be a 10-month eligibility window. And you've seen the fruits of that already. We've talked about it numerous times, and we will continue to talk about it. That means you're going to get a ton of films in a cluster of, like, three months towards the end of this calendar. And yet, I could see kind of some method to their madness now if some of these movies platform at the end of it all. And, and maybe they're not going to wa- release as wide. Because okay. this is built for late breakers. Again, you would think 
like it was last year. We had the four months and people got sick of the movies. I don't know if they're going to be able to get sick with this year's slate because it's just coming so fast and furious. But you could have things platform and then you have three months of cushion for them to debut and expand, mm. which is one month more than we typically get. Even last year's calendar where they pushed everything, you still had that two month, you know, from the time, from the end of the eligibility to the Oscars date. You had those two months. Maybe it's two months in a week or whatever, but that's customary. And yet now we have three months. Look, I'm not going to lie. It's good for our programming. But it's 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 almost frustrating. <laughs> like we have an extra month yeah. where we're going to be previewing the Oscars. Yeah, you're depressing me because I hadn't thought about that. Uh, there's, <laughs> it does seem to be that they're adding four weeks of downtime. I could see. Look, in the, the the Hollywood Reporter article mentioned this. I could see part of the reason why is that they don't even have a producer hired yet for the actual award show itself. So mm-hmm. they need to nail that especially after what happened last year with steven soderbergh's call and the way that was all designed and how it ended and what all of us were outraged of doing and seeing before ourselves uh, on that show so that makes sense to me and i'd rather they get it right but yeah i mean we have this 14 week stretch coming in october november and december in which you think you're going to get every movie but if that's the case what the hell is going to be left to talk about over almost you know, three full months from that point out, if nothing is there to debut wide in 2022 to play for the 2021 awards calendar. Look, I mean, we've seen 1917 Mm -hmm. all the way back to million dollar baby Mm -hmm. where they'll, they'll platform on Christmas and they'll play all through January and into February. They'll have their three weeks plus where they're, they're making good money uh, later and maybe that's going to be the case with this year's eventual best picture winner, which could overtake one of the big hits mm. because the big hits will have come out months ago and they'll be a little more stale than the, the new thing, than the new movie. I, I don't know how, if it's going to play about play out like that, but it's, it definitely has some potential. That makes me even more weary of any summer debut though. Right. But I'm just saying, like, they're trying to... I'm not saying they're trying to rig this for more popular movies to get in, but it's clear that they want that, right? Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Academy's been clearly concerned about ratings and finding ways to placate the casual viewer for at least the last half decade, if not longer. you got the goods this year with the movies. You have the goods. Right. So, I mean, maybe it's a moot point because the extra month is going to allow all these movies to, and the shorter windows, for that matter... We're going to allow House of Gucci to be on demand in plenty of time for everybody to watch it at home. Maybe that's what they're banking on. But it, it, again, it doesn't help theatrical. No. Ugh. And obviously, I mean, I don't think the Academy cares about the... Uh, look, they had every opportunity in the world to address anything having to do with saving theaters during the 16-month lead-up to last year, to, a, and it just didn't happen. Built-in mulligan. They had a built... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so much. Ugh. Yeah, no, they didn't help them at all. So That's scary. Uh, we could wrap up here talking about one more thing having to do with the Academy. They are going to invite roughly half as many new members as in previous years. 
uh, as in at least previously to uh, last year. So the diversity initiative, which has been running the past five years, after explaining that the Academy had invited over 4,000 new members since 2016, the THR article explained, quote, this surge of new members nearly doubled the Academy's total membership and resulted in the organization meeting and exceeding its A2020 goals of doubling the number of Academy members who are women as well as those from underrepresented ethnic slash racial communities by 2020. I can't help but think this is the Academy thumbing their nose at the HFPA a little bit. A little bit. I think uh, I, I think I'm torn, right? Because we have been conditioned to just brace for the fact that it's not enough, right? Sure. It's, it's always not enough. Mm-hmm. And I do believe complacency could be the enemy here, but they did double their membership. Did they reach equity? Did they reach representation levels that they can be proud of? Has the industry reached those levels? Probably not. And again, we talked about regression being a real possibility here because the systemic problems have not been corrected this quickly. Mm. And we'll see. We'll see how things play out. I'm, I'm, hopeful but i'm concerned and i'm definitely concerned that yes the intentions seem earnest a lot of these gestures are a bit hollow we've talked about them in the past a lot of them have clear indications that the academy is putting action behind what they say and they they have all these initiatives that are that are important that are that are going to change the industry for the better we think we hope the question is, have they done enough? Yeah, have they I w- done enough to this point? I would think that even if they recede the total number of invites per year, they have to be cognizant of the percentage breakdown of who it is they're inviting in. And that's kind of what's important here is that, you know, you want equality. You want that equal representation all throughout the academy. So even if you only invite 100 new people this year just for numbers sake, well, maybe don't invite 90 white men, you know, yeah, <laughs> like be, be aware had, of that. Right. They had to make a correction. They had to. Right. And Everybody demanded it and it was the right thing to do. And amen. They made the correction. Right. And so you're exact. I mean, this is, this should be, I think, a happy story, at least for right now, until we're told otherwise. To their credit, they seem to have, they say they surpassed their own given goals and the numbers and they doubled the whole academy. And okay, great. Hopefully, let's keep that up. Let's keep that going to the future, even if you don't have these large numbers, these, you know, huge new invitee classes in the six and seven hundreds like they have been each of the previous five years. I forget who said this. It might have been the big picture, uh, but we're nauseously optimistic. (laughs) Yes, I think that's a a great way of putting it and a great uh, ending sentiment for this monster episode. Uh, Yes, it was the first Oscar race checkpoint of the 2021 film year, uh, but it was necessary. We had, obviously, we, we missed you guys because of my ridiculous, what do you call it? existence so we had to catch up on a couple stories here and uh and catch up ourselves quite frankly but uh we're, we're back in the saddle hopefully we want to hear from you as always what are your thoughts on any of these stories as well as anything else we have mentioned or talk about here in the mmo empire you can leave us those as well as any other thoughts comments questions or concerns about anything we do here in mmo on our social medias we are mike mike and oscar on facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit if you are listening to us on the Apple 
Apple Podcasts app. If you would be so kind as to tap on our cartoon faces and leave us a five-star review, that 10-second gesture would truly make our day. Michael, what are the words of wisdom to end on and what is coming next from MMO? Uh, in, in the Heights is coming next. We are mm-hmm. starting our new year of Oscar profiles. Yeah. So that's that's really ex- uh, exciting that we're going to do our movie review series that will be ongoing uh, and definitely hot and heavy through the fall there, as oh, we yeah. said in the previous uh, preview episodes there. That was a great miniseries to kick off this new year in May, as we did. <laughs> uh, but look, I think, uh, I think we're having a blast with uh, Two Mike, Two Furious. And I think the words of wisdom will transpire from such a title. And it's that be careful with puns. Be careful <laughs> with puns that you try to make when you're you're of our age. And uh, you try to just keep talking and you think they'll just flow out of your mouth and be funny. Uh, and your, your co-host will allow you to edit them out. And he won't. I live real life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Uh, I think the next three are just gonna like the fir- fast four is awful. I watched it; it's not good. <laughs> awful. I can co-sign that. Fast five, I think, is much better. I, I, I feel like Justin Lin and Chris Moore again, but I don't know. I can't confirm it yet. So that's that'll be next week. We'll get back to Fast and Furious. <laughs> uh, we'll have a mini series there to indulge ourselves in. We had a blast. With the yeah, first, the first a lot of fun. fun. So go check that out on our feed, guys. One reality where your ability to make puns sucks. You can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuff in this. We will see you very soon. See you.